Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. Good morning, everybody. I should have said buenos dias. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Physically, I'm a little bit tired this morning, but we'll get over it. Been a long, been a, an intense week, to say the least. A lot got done, though. I'm thankful for that. That's what I wanted to share with you about this morning. I just want to encourage you because. A lot of times we are prodded and pulled and everything to to do this, to do that. But I just want to stand up before you this morning and say thank you. You folks are, are the most faithful bunch of people I've ever been around. You give, you work, you're diligent in the things that God has called you to do. And I know that God is wanting to do more, but and God will do more. There's a verse of scripture that says, despise not small beginnings. You know, and everything begins small. Faith is as a grain of mustard seed. But when it's planted in the right place, in the right conditions, and it's fed and it's fostered, it grows. And it becomes something great. And that's what God is doing here. And I, I was, my mind went back to Nehemiah. I, I love the book of Nehemiah because... Nehemiah is a guy, a guy that had a vision for something. But before he had a vision of something, there had to be a heartbreaking experience in his life. Nehemiah was one of the exiles or uh, one of the direct descendants of the exiles that was brought out of, out of uh, Israel into Babylon. And about three generations removed from the Babylonian captivity where they were taken into captivity and uh, by, by Nebuchadnezzar, and then after Nebuchadnezzar, of course, Darius the Mede, and then the, another king had risen up, and King Artaxerxes was, was reigning at this time, and, and uh, Nehemiah, one of the uh, uh, exiles that had been brought out of Israel, was a servant to the king. They took the finest of the men. They took the, took the best of the best, the cream of the crop, as it were the most intellectual, best-looking, strongest people. And they used him in service to the kings, in the royal service, and that's what they did. And this was Nehemiah. Nehemiah had a very important position. It wasn't that he was a vice president or anything like that. It wasn't so much a governmental position, but it was a position of servitude to the king. And uh, Nehemiah revealed that to us, but uh, in chapter 2 of, of the book of Nehemiah, he says, I was cupbearer to the king. A cupbearer had a very important job. It was to keep the king from getting poisoned. So in order to do that, he had to taste the wine that was brought to the king. Because if anybody's going to poison the king, they'll probably put it in his wine, you know, because he probably couldn't taste it quite as good as you could in the other drinks. But Nehemiah's job was to taste the wine and give it to the king. Very, very important. And in so doing, he became very close to the king. He spent a lot of time around the king. But Nehemiah had gotten some word from some of his friends who had gone down to Jerusalem to see how things were in his homeland. And they brought back word to him. He said, what was it like there? And he said, well, it was bad. Because the city was burned and the gates of the city were burned. The walls had been torn down. The city was in disarray. There was just, you know, it had been overrun and looted by the, by, by the enemies of, of Israel. And, and this was what he saw, uh, what, the word that he got back to him, and it broke his heart. Billy Graham said there, was, there are three things that are needed in order to change your city. Number one is a broken heart. Number two are eyes that are wet with tears. And number three are knees that are bent in prayer. When Nehemiah got word about what was happening, the first thing he did was he didn't organize a committee and try to put some people together to decide what they were going to do, how they were going to respond to the, to the crisis. The first thing he did, it says that he wept and he cried and he fasted for days. It broke his heart, the condition of, of what was going on in his homeland. 
And I want to ask you the question this morning. When you look around your city and you see all the things that are going on, you know, there's some places in the city that people don't even want to go because they're afraid. They're afraid to go there. And, 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 and you know, we, we look at these situations and stuff, and so what we do is kind of we take the, uh, the, the, the uh, position uh, that Jesus talked about when he talked about the Good Samaritan. You remember when, when, when there was a, a man uh, that it was on his way to Jerusalem and he fell among thieves and, and he was beaten and left for dead and robbed and all this kind of stuff. And a priest comes along and he sees him. So what does he do? He goes on the other side of the street. He don't want anything to do with that guy. He don't want to take his time. He don't want to address the situation. After all, he's got important responsibilities he has to take care of. He's on his way to perform his priestly functions, and he don't want to get himself dirty. He don't want to get defiled. He don't want to touch blood. He don't want to touch a dead man, for goodness sake. So the best thing to do is just leave the situation alone, go on the other side, avoid it, and go on about his business. And likewise, a Levite who was assisted to the, to the priest he comes along. He's another religious fellow. He comes along, and he sees this Samaritan, or sees this, not a Samaritan, but he sees this man laying on the side of the road. He looks like he's dead, and he thinks, well, I don't have time for this. i got to go help the priest. i got to go perform my religious duties at the temple. You know, they were assistants to the, to the priest, and so he, he's got, i got to go perform, you know, help perform the sacrifices and stuff. I don't have time to mess with this guy. So he leaves him alone, and he goes on. But then a, a, a Samaritan, a certain Samaritan, you know a Samaritan was, was they called them like half-breeds because they weren't fully Jewish. They weren't fully Gentile. They were kind of half and half. You know, they, and so they, they had their own little city, and, and uh, so they lived in Samaria, and so the, he passes by, and he sees this man on the side of the road, and he stops, and he has compassion on the guy, and he takes wine out of his own flask and he he dresses his wounds he takes care of him he carries him to the inn you know I, I have a feeling that he didn't take him to el chipo he probably took him to holiday inn if they had one there you know he took him to a good place and he told the innkeeper he says take care of this man he said i'm going away for a few days and when i come back if it, uh, here's some shillings for you to take care of him and when i come back if it costs any more just put it on my bill i'll take care of it when i get back and jesus asked the question because the question had been, had been presented to him. And Jesus said, said, what is the greatest commandment? Because someone asked him that question. He says, what is, what, is the, what is it I must do in order to inherit the kingdom of God? What, what is it that I must do? What good thing? He says, what did he say? Love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, G, and, and the question was asked Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So the Samaritan revealed who our neighbor is. So if God has called us to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we look at our city and we see the, the condition that our city is in, it should break our heart and make us want to do something about it. And I thank God that we have a group of people who have a desire to impact this city with the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what's going to change things. You know, we have a vision for Destiny City. We call it the Seven Mountains strategy. There's seven mountains of our culture. And I can quickly name all five of them. You know, we have the mountains of, of religion, and that's the one that we focus on the most as a church, don't we? You know, every pastor that I know of, if we go and we talk to pastors, their vision is to do things around their church. You know, we want to have a church that we want a building that has outreach. We want a building that does this. We want a building that, you know, we want the best kids' ministries. We want to bring people in and, and have something for the kids. We want to bring people in and have something for the adults. We want to bring people in, and we want to have this. We want to bring people in, and we want to do this. But... test. Okay. Now, where was I? Jesus said, I remember that part. What's that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Jesus said, Matthew 28, 19, what did he say? He said, oh, yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. What was the word? 
go, go ye therefore. Go ye therefore what? And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, that word go doesn't mean to put up a sign and say, y'all come. That word go means that we all are actively involved in going out into the highways and the byways and compelling them to come in. We are to invite, we are to, we are to witness, we're to tell about the love of Jesus, we're to do everything that we can to impact people for Christ. That's the go part. Thank you, Jeremy. So he's called us to go and not to stay. Now are we back on? There we go. So what is our part? Well, we have so many different aspects of it. As I was saying, most pastors would have us believe that our part is to get people to the church so that we can do everything there. And so everything is funneled into the one mountain of religion. You know, it's all about the religious part. You ask a person if they know Jesus, what is their first response? I go to church. I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I'm a good person. So we think that religion has all about to do about that. Well, in the, in the purest sense of the word, religion is man's search for God. That's how it's defined. Man's search for God. So if we're searching for God, then we're looking everywhere, right? And, and God said it's not hard to find him. He's just as close as the mention of his name. So all we have to do is call upon him and he will answer and show us great and mighty things that we know not. He's right there waiting for us. He's never far from us. But we look in all kinds of directions to try to find God. That's what we call religion. So when we talk about religion, there's so many different religions. I mean, uh, Tim and and Paris, uh, many of you don't know Tim, but Tim has been a missionary to India, is a missionary to India. As he will tell you right now, he's not a citizen. Well, he's, a, he's born in the United States of America, but he belongs to India. That's where his heart is. That's where God has called him in Paris to be. And they're going back to India soon. And he knows that God has called him there for a specific purpose, you know. And so... That's where the Lord is sending them to impact that culture for Jesus. So we have the religious thing. But the one thing about India, and he will tell you, is they have over 10,000 gods. 360 million gods has grown. Oh, wow. 360 million gods. Can you imagine? They're still searching. They haven't found yet. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's only one God. There's only one true God, and we know who he is. His name is Yahweh, and, and, and we know that. But in India, they will name just about anything a god. They got snake gods. They got cow gods. They got man gods. They got ant gods. Elvis is a god, just like he is here in the United States of America, you know. A lot of people believe Elvis is still living. You know, I, I don't, he left the building a long time ago. But anyway, that's just the way it is. So we got this big religious mountain that we as a church have built. You know, and everything in our lives. So, so all of our kids, we bring them up and we want them to be what? We want them to be pastors. We want them to be missionaries. We want them to serve in the church because we feel like that's what would be most pleasing to God. But God hasn't called us just to this one mountain. He's also called us to Politics or government. That's the other mountain. He's called us to media. I'm thankful. You know, I I went and saw uh, War Room twice. It was so powerful. I wanted to go back and see it again. I mean, it's just amazing. And what was so amazing about War Room is there's no notable characters in there that you would recognize their, their names anywhere as far as movie stars or anything like that. I, I didn't realize till this morning that the main, one of the main characters was Tony Evans' daughter. You know, that, I don't know if y'all know who Tony Evans is. He's a very prominent pastor from Dallas, Texas. But his daughter plays one of the main roles. My granddaughter was in one of the scenes, and I didn't even know it until after the movie had come out. She was sitting on the floor in one of the scenes. But, you know, it was made up of, of just common everyday people. 
but it's number one in the box office now. You know, and I've heard people criticize the organization that's made Flywheel and Fireproof and Facing the Giants and these kind of things. You know, well, it's not as good as what comes out of Hollywood. Well, we're getting there. We don't have the money yet to produce the kind of things that they have in Hollywood. We don't have all the special effects and stuff. But the impact of this movie and what it is doing to get people praying is just amazing. What Fireproof has done for marriages, we can never measure the effect of it. I mean, just, just what God has done in, in encouraging kids and coaches and facing the giants, these movies that they put out, the, the, the mountain of media, why should the devil have all the good stuff? I mean, why can't we have spirit-filled actors? Why can't we have spirit-filled producers? Why can't we have people that love Jesus that are putting out good stuff instead of all the garbage we're asked to, 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 to choke ourselves on? Then we have politics. We have this notion here in America that if you're a Christian, you're disqualified from running for political office. When the nation, when our nation was founded... Just about every one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were devout believers. Just about every one of them. And we've gotten to the point where if you were a believer, if you, especially if you were a, a spirit-filled Christian, then you're disqualified because you might not understand the rest of the cultures. You might have a bias against something. Well, some things need to have a bias against them. We need to stand up. I applaud people that, that will stand up for the convictions. We need to. But we need to raise up young men and women who are full of the fire of God, who have a purpose in their life to change things. Because we will never change things by just allowing them to go on the way they are. We have to affect change. We have to make things change. They will change but much to our detriment if we don't change them. We have the mountain of education. You know, why can't we have spirit-filled teachers in schools and spirit-filled principals and spirit-filled educators and spirit-filled professors? Why can we not? We should have. Just about every prominent institution of education in America were founded upon biblical principles by godly people. And we've gotten so far away from it where we have allowed the enemy to steal. What does the thief come to do? Kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We have the medical mountains. We have all these mountains of our culture that, that, that we need to be a part of, we need to be affecting. And that's what God has called us as a church to do. Not just to produce pastors and leaders. Now, he's called us to do that. But God has called us into every sector of our society to make change, to make influence, to influence people for God and for good. Not just to sit back on our blessed assurance and just pray that somebody else will do it. Somewhere along the line, somebody's got to stand up and say, here am I, Lord, send me. Not, Lord, here they are, send them. We've got to become involved in our culture and what's going on around us. And that's what God has called Destiny City for. That's why we say that our responsibility and our calling as a church is to help others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. So whatever that destiny is that God has put inside of you, you pray, you seek God, you find out what it is, and we'll get behind you and promote you and help you. That's what we want to do with what God has put into our hands. You know, this, this beautiful facility that the Lord has given us, I see all kinds of possibilities there. I'm not just looking for a worship place on Sunday morning. That is a part of it. But I'm looking for ways that we can affect our culture, that we can help people, that we can help people to grow and mature and become what God wants them to be, not what I want them to be, but what God wants them to be and promote you and help you with that. 
The sky's the limit. How big is our God? You know, this morning I was, I was sitting and I was just thinking. I do that a lot sometimes. And it gets me in trouble sometimes. But sometimes, you know, some pretty good stuff comes out of it. I was just thinking, is there anything that God cannot do? You know, somebody asked me that question one time. He says, is there anything that God can't do? And I said, no. They said, well, if God can't do, if he can do anything, can he make a rock that is so big that he can't move it? I didn't have an answer at that time. But, you know, it just came to me. You know, if God had a reason to make a rock that was so big that he couldn't move it, he would make himself so small that he couldn't move that rock. But there's no purpose in it. I mean, why would God want to move, build a rock that he couldn't move? You know, I don't know. That's kind of a dumb question anyway, isn't it? But, you know, there are some things that God cannot do. He cannot lie. He can't lie. God cannot love you any more than he loves you right now. And God cannot fail. He cannot. The purposes that he sends forth to do, they will be accomplished. Because if we didn't believe that, then we wouldn't have faith. And faith in God can move any mountain. I don't care how big it is. And I'm just thankful. You know, Nehemiah found that out. Nehemiah, when he, when he found out what was going on in Jerusalem, he prayed and he fasted and he sought the Lord and he asked God for one thing. He said, give me favor with the king. And so Nehemiah goes before the king and he's got the king's cup, you know, and the king is, is, is he's wanting to party. And he looks up at Nehemiah and he says, Nehemiah, you look sad. You see, it was, it was taboo to come into the king's presence with a down heart, with a, you know, with a downtrodden spirit. You know, looking like an Eeyore. Oh. But Nehemiah's heart was heavy. And I imagine as hard as he could, he was trying his best to put up a good front. But the king could see through the facade. He says, Nehemiah, why is your face so sad? Surely. Surely this is nothing but a sad heart. What's going on? And Nehemiah was just honest with him. He says, how can I, how can I have a glad heart when the city of my birth and of my youth lies in ruins and its gates are burned and its walls are torn down? How can I have a glad heart? How can we sometimes, you know, how can we just have such a glad heart? Why can we party all the time when everything around us, you know, there's a time to weep, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to rejoice. There's a time for us to look around and see our situation and, and allow the Holy Spirit to touch our hearts. And, you know, sometimes I'm just brought to tears when I see things the way that they are. And there's nothing wrong with that because we should weep. We should weep because of our nation and the unrighteousness. We should weep because of the immorality. We should weep because of the hurt and the pain in our culture. We should weep when we see young women being sold into sexual slavery. We should weep when we see abortions being performed. Every 32 seconds a child is aborted. We should weep for our nation, when good is called wrong and wrong is called good, we should weep. It should break our hearts. You know, we have a tendency to want to get our ire and our anger up and go out and protest as though that's going to do something. It might, I don't know. But what's going to do more good is that when we get on our knees before God and do what God said, he said, if my people, which are called by my name, will get together and get some bands and go to Washington, D.C. and get out some placards and some protest signs and circle the White House and scream and yell, then I will heal their land. Is that what it says? Well, that seems to be the popular version these days. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, let alone what's going on in the world, we need to turn from our wicked ways. Do you know what is rampant in the church these days, especially among men? It starts with a P and ends with pornography. And it's rampant and it's contagious and it's ugly. Sickening and painful and hurtful. It's everywhere. You know what else is prominent in our churches today? Gossip. Gossip. When we in our self-righteousness will look at someone else and strip them down because of their sin without looking at our own. I mean, I could just go on and on and on with the things that are wrong in our society and wrong in the church that we need to repent of, that we need to get right with God about. And then we can start judging the world. Paul said that we would judge angels. Do you know that? But Paul was saying it in the context of why do you take your brother to court? How many Christians sue each other? We see it all the time. This organization suing this organization and blah, blah, blah. And the world looks at it and they go, I don't get this. I don't understand. I thought Christianity was all about love and all about harmony. You know, when churches split and talk about each other and tear each other down and this pastor. I mean, I get it all the time. People come up to me and, and we'll start talking about something. The next thing you know, they're asking me, well, what do you think about brother so-and-so? Or what do you think about this pastor, that pastor? I didn't used to have an answer, but I got one now. It's Romans 14, 4. Who am I to judge another man's servant? Not my responsibility. My responsibility is to pray for that person. So if you want to join me in praying for that person, let's pray for them right now. And if there is a problem, if there is a fault, God will judge it and God will straighten it out. Usually that pretty much puts a stop to it. And they'll just, usually, either we'll pray and they'll say thank you or they'll just go on. But we have to do the things. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face. And he said, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. That's what Nehemiah did. And then God sent him on a course. Nehemiah goes before the king. The king says, you look sad. So Nehemiah lays it out before him. And guess what happened? God gave him favor. The king's heart was moved because God moved his heart. It wasn't Nehemiah's sad sob story that moved his heart. It was that Nehemiah had gone before the Lord in prayer and fasting, and God moved the heart of the king, and the king had empathy for Nehemiah, and he had compassion for his circumstances and his situation, and he was moved to do something about it. God gave him favor with the king, and the king was willing to write an edict for Nehemiah to go into Jerusalem, and on the way, he was to be able to hire some people to get some uh, things to build with. He could take a contingency with him. He was given everything that he asked for, and God sent him to Jerusalem. Now, when he gets to Jerusalem, you would think, well, God's cleared the way for him, and everything's good. I want to tell you something, folks. God has put us in a good position with kids sports, and I'm so excited about it. I, I want to say thank you to all the people that worked. Last week, we had over 30 people there on Thursday night working. That's awesome. And the guy that owned the place came, and he was, he was walking around looking at things, and he came up to me, and, and he says, I just can't believe that you got all these people out here on a Thursday night to work. He said, that's impressive. I said, I know, isn't it? I said, we got good people. It just made my heart feel so good. And then yesterday morning when we got together, the, the iron men came out. And, man, we got a lot of stuff done. It was just amazing. Jeremy has a new nickname. It's Chainsaw J. 
we, I, had, I had three chainsaws that I brought from home with me, and we get them there, and they, neither one of them would work. One was dull, one wouldn't start, and the other one wouldn't stay running. So after we wrestled with them for a while, I said, enough is enough. I know where they sell these things. So I just went and bought one. Got one that had plenty of power and pep, and I brought that thing back, and I worked with it for a while. Jeremy said, let me see that thing for a minute, and then he got it. Next thing I know, he's up on the other people's property cutting trees. I'm like, (laughs) whoa. It was awesome, though. We got a lot done. I had to tell him to quit, or he'd still be out there. (laughs) I'm just kidding, Jay. He's giving me that look. I mean, stop. But anyway, thank you. Thank you so much. But Nehemiah, he had a vision. He prayed. He confessed the sins of his father, his own sins. And God answered his prayer. And then God gave him favor in Nehemiah 2, 4. Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to, uh, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. So God sent Nehemiah back. He had a daunting task to go back and to accomplish what God had called him to do. Now, what I was getting ready to say is that that although God has given us some good things, we're not out of the woods yet. We got a lot of obstacles to overcome. We got one thing called five hundred seventy-five thousand dollars, you know, which seems like a major monumental thing, but in the eyes of God, that's nothing. The Bible says in, in Psalm four twenty-four one, "The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all they that dwell therein." So God has got it under control. In Habakkuk or in Haggai chapter two verse four, it says, "The silver is mine, the gold is mine. Arise and build." So God has given us whatever we need. God's going to take care of it. I'm not one bit worried about it, but I'm just saying we have to stay focused. And we have to keep giving, we have to keep working, we have to keep doing what God's called us to do. Now, the other thing is, we're going to run into obstacles along the way. Nehemiah ran into obstacles. He ran into opposition. There was a man by the name of Sanballat and another one by the name of Tobiah. They were two unscrupulous fellows. They had it made before Nehemiah came there. They were the men of influence, and they didn't like somebody else coming and stealing their influence. So they weren't very happy that they were coming and rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. So they rose up in opposition against them. They began to taunt them. They began to, to hire other unscrupulous people to come in and influence others to come against them. To the point that it got to where Nehemiah had to have the men, as they were working, to work with the tools in one hand and have their sword strapped on, ready to go to war in a moment. So they understood that they had to keep working and they had to keep moving forward. Now, what is the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. How are we going to accomplish what God has called us to do? Through the Word of God. Faith in God. Now, what is faith in God? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Understanding that every word that God has spoken will accomplish that it descends it forth to do. We know that God is going to do what he said he would do, so we need not worry. We only need to trust. We only need to keep moving forward and doing what God has called us to do. If we will do what God's called us to do, he will do the rest, just like he did for Nehemiah. Nehemiah worked with the people that God had sent with him. They probably weren't all master craftsmen when he sent them, but when they got there, they soon learned how to be. And in a period of 52 days, they completed the walls around Jerusalem. 52 days. Halfway through the process, it says they had built the wall up in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. They had built the wall up halfway. And the reason they were able to do this in such short order was that the people had a mind to work. The people were willing to work. They had a mind to work. They knew what their objectives were. They knew what they were there to accomplish, and they set about doing it. They had a mind to work, and they got it done in short order. That's what God is calling us to do is just have a mind to work, have a mind to put our shoulder to the wheel and do what God has called us to do. Well, you know, I can't do this, and I can't do that, but you can do something. Just find that something you're good at and do it. You know, I I remember one time watching this praise and worship team from Africa. And they were singing and praising the Lord. And one of them had a tin can with a stick. And he was beating that tin can for Jesus. 
And another guy, he had a homemade guitar with one string. I called him One String Willie. One String Willie had about three notes going on that string, and he was just playing that string to, to the best of his ability, all for the glory of Jesus. He was giving it all he had, and they were singing. They were making melody in their heart to the Lord, and it sounded like an angelic choir. They were so amazing because they did what they knew to do with all of their might. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do that with all your might. I used to tell girls that all the time when I was a youth pastor. They would say to me, you know, what do I do if my boyfriend starts to come on to me and he won't stop? I said, well, there's a verse of scripture I want to give you, Ecclesiastes. I believe it's chapter 10 somewhere. It says, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do that with all your might. So you just plant one right on his kisser with all you got. (laughs) Boom. Give it all you got. And he'll get the message. You know? But anyway, we, we need to work diligently. We need to work with all that we've got. Give it all we got. And Nehemiah did that. He didn't, he didn't listen to the naysayers. You know, Sanballat and Tobias, they began to taunt the people. They began to say, you know, is this thing going to hold up? I bet you a fox couldn't even walk across the top of it without it crumbling down. Well, you're just using old used brick and block that was left over from when the city was burned down. That stuff's not going to hold up. They were looking at, they were critical of everything that they were doing, and they were trying to bring discouragement upon the people. Don't listen to the naysayers. Don't listen to those who would try to bring discouragement. Whenever someone comes at you and they try to discourage you and they try to give you a discouraging word, you just turn around and encourage them in the Lord. Just tell them this is what God has called us to do and I am doing what God's called me to do. That's what Nehemiah said. He said, I don't have time to mess with you. We are here to do what God has called us to do. God has called us to build this wall. That's what we're going to do. And they stayed, the, they stayed the course. That's what we've got to do. Understand what God has called us to do. And let's do it. Let's do it. I just want to encourage you this morning. I, you know, I, 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 I didn't want to have a message that was just going to be hard-hitting and in your face and this kind of thing. But I just want to encourage you in the Lord to stay the course, to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. His might. And understand this. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Knowing this, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So whatever you do, in word or deed, do it as unto the Lord. Listen, if you're doing things and you can't do it unto the Lord, stop. Stop doing it. But if you can do it as unto the Lord, then do it with all you got. Give it everything you got. Do work heartily as unto the Lord. Not halfway. God didn't call us to be halfwayers. He called us to be all in. You know, we're in this thing. We're in it. God has called us to that. And we know that if we keep doing what God has called us to do, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. We're going to see the fruits of what God has before us. It's been prophesied over us and everything else. And I I listen to the words of prophecy and I believe them. I believe what God has said about Destiny City. Destiny City is a church of destiny. God is raising us up in these times for this city. You know, one of the things that that our friend Jim, uh, what was Jim Riley said about Destiny City. He says that revival is coming to the East Coast. And he said, you are right, going to be right dead center of the move of God, the revival move of God that is happening. I can see it. I can smell it in the air. Have you ever been out on a dry, hot day and, and all of a sudden you begin to smell the smell of water? You, you, you smell the, a storm brewing. You smell something that is happening. You know that change is in the air. That's what I'm smelling in the spirit. That's what I'm sensing in the spirit. There's a change in the air. God is getting ready to breathe upon this city. God is getting ready to send a blast of Holy Ghost wind that's going to change everything. A rushing mighty wind that's going to move in power and glory. 
And we are right dead in the middle of it. Hallelujah. That excites me. God is, is fashioning us. He's doing something inside of us. I don't know about you, but these past five years, I felt like a, a dish rag at times that was just being squeezed. You know, God is getting ready to use you, but before he can use you, he's got to get all the old stuff out. He's got to get you cleaned up. He's got to get you ready for his purpose. And now he's ready, you know. Now we're ready to do some mop-up stuff here. We're ready to do some work. And that's where God is putting us. God is putting us and he's positioning us in these last days for his purpose. And I am so excited about it. We got to do it in short order because we don't have much time. Jesus is coming soon. But if we work together, if we have that mind to work as a people of Nehemiah's day did, that those who followed him and went to Jerusalem, they had a mind to work and they were able to accomplish what would have taken years to do because they were single focused and they had a purpose before them and they knew what God called them to do and what their purpose was for being there. And they did it. We got to know what our purpose is. And I believe we're starting to catch it. We're catching on. We understand what our focus is to be. It is to affect our generation with the power of the Holy Spirit in every aspect of our lives. Not just to come to church, not just to have a great worship service, but to do more. God's calling us to feed the hungry. He's calling us to help the orphans. He's calling us to help people that are struggling. He's calling us to educate. He's calling us to promote the gospel. He's calling us to go to the four corners of the earth. I've always believed that Destiny City was to be an international ministry in that God is raising up and helping others to find and fulfill their God-given destiny, like Tim here. Tim will be a a, a branch. He'll be a part of us going to India. And so when we pray for him and as we help him, then, then God is going to be extending Destiny City into India. I see things happening. I see us helping in Mexico. I see us helping around the world in other places, in Jerusalem with, with Dwayne and Vicky. I see us, God is sending us out in so many different areas of ministry. But God is preparing us. And we are that tool that God is going to use to help people to discover what it is, whatever that is, your God-given destiny, and to help prepare you to fulfill it. That's what I believe God is calling us to do. Does that make sense? Simple, isn't it? Really, it's not rocket science, but it definitely takes a move of God. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to get it done. We have to rely on Him. I love it when God puts us in a position where we got no choice but to trust Him. And that's where we are. <laughs> that's exactly where we are. We got no choice but to trust Him. But do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? He's teaching us, isn't He? He's teaching us. And one thing I found about God is when we trust Him, He does the rest. I love it so much. It's so much easier to just trust the Lord and to walk in faith than to try to do it in your own strength. You know, some of the most powerful messages God has ever given me weren't messages that were mine, that were His. I told you about being in Mexico last year down in Chiapas. And, and, and finding out 10 minutes before we were going to a service that I was going to be preaching. And I wasn't prepared. I didn't even have my Bible with me. But that night, we had such a powerful, powerful move of God. Over 20 people got saved and 20-some people got baptized in the Holy Spirit. A man got ba- uh, delivered to demons and just all kinds of stuff. A prostitute was born again. And all kinds of stuff happened that night all because God took over. He was able to say what he wanted to say. I love it that way. Praise the Lord. But God is doing some amazing things. He's doing it right now, and he's doing it through you. I see in this church, I see in this church people that will be involved in every mountain of our culture. There's someone in here today that God is calling you to be in the political arena. I don't know who it is. I don't know what, how God is going to use you in that arena, but God is calling you there. And that's good. You've been struggling with it. Like, do I need to go into this? Do I to, to really step out in this direction? But that's your calling. That's where God is calling you. 
So yes, by all means, step out by faith and begin to pursue it with a godly, with a godly pursuit. Go hard after God. So we all have those areas that God is calling us to. There might be someone in here, you may be acting in a movie before you know it. Might be a bit part and it might be a main part. I don't know. But God will put you there. God will position you where you can be most effective in reaching our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's a good thing, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Wouldn't you rather be in the will of God than in someone else's? Amen. That's a good thing. Well, that's where Nehemiah found himself, and he did what God had called him to do. One last thing I just wanted to give you this morning, and it's in Ephesians chapter 3. It says, Now to him who was able to do exceedingly, abundantly. That word is parasols. Parasols. It means beyond superabundant in quantity or superior in quality. It means to be in excess, to be superfluous, superfluous, yeah, that word, superfluous, or to excel. It also means more than enough, more than enough, beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. And what's that power that's at work within us? It's the Holy Spirit, it's the dunamis, of God that's working inside of us, helping us, giving us the ability, giving us the power mightily to do what God has called us to do. And, and, and what is the work? It's the energy to do the works, to be active or efficient, to be effectual, fervent, to be mighty, and to show forth. That's what God is calling us to do. And I like what it says in Philippians 4.13, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If we keep that attitude, that can-do attitude, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We won't grow weak. We won't grow weary. We won't be discouraged because we'll know where God has called us. We'll know God's called us to. And we know that God gives us the ability to do everything that he tells us to do. It's his ability. It's his might. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, Above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. It's all for him. It's all for his glory. We've got to keep that in mind. Everything that we do, we do nothing for ourselves. It's all to the glory of God. All for his glory. All for the kingdom. Amen. I'm just, you know, I, I've been over to the kids sports building numerous times now. Every time I drive up, I'm just blown away at the grace of God and the provision of God to think where God has taken us from in such short order to boom what he's putting into our hands and how he's doing it. And and all I can say is it's all God. It's all God. Wow, it's right. And it's so much more than what I had envisioned in my own mind. You know, when we found out about this place, it's exactly double. Exactly double the floor space of what we were going to be able to build. Exactly double. From 7,000 to 14,000 square feet. Exactly double. And it's almost exactly half, less than half of what it was going to cost us to build what we were looking at. And the acreage, again, is double what we were looking at, building on. I mean, isn't God good? Isn't he good? That's God. I mean, when God does something, he does it well. It's always more than enough. So what's the next step? We'll find out when we get there. But for right now, we just take the step in the direction God has called us to, and we just determine that we got a mind to work. We're going to get this done. We're going to get it done. We're going to get it done quickly. We're going to get moving. We're going to get things done that God wants us to do, 
and we're going to see God move in power and might. I'm excited. I don't know about you. I, 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 I can't even sleep at night. I'm so excited. And I'm just thankful. Would you stand? I want to pray with you because I know how tiring this thing can be in our flesh. But if we depend on the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, we'd be like Elijah that ate angel food and he outran the chariot of Ahab. You know, God just touched him and he supernaturally just, and he went on that angel food for 40 days and nights. Didn't have to eat anymore. God will give us that kind of supernatural energy and strength to do what he's called us to do. And so, Lord, we just thank you, God, that you've put a purpose in our heart. You've given us direction. You've given us a vision. And, Lord, you've given us a place to fulfill that vision. And, God, you're going to supply all that is needed to get it done. Lord, because you haven't called us to go into debt, you said, I've called you to be and I've blessed you to be the lender and not the borrower, the head and not the tail. And so, Lord, I just thank you, Father, that that we won't have to go to lending institutions to get it done, but all we have to do is ask of you. And so, Lord, we ask of you, Father. We ask you, Father, to meet our need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And we will continue to be faithful in giving as you have called us to give. And, Lord, we thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, that you are super abundantly able to provide all that we need even more than we could ever ask for. And we just thank you for it, Father. We're encouraged and we're strengthened because we know that if we have a mind to work, God, that you're going to do the work through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I'm just asking you today, Father, to touch your people. Just lift up your hands and say, Lord, touch me. Fill me with your spirit. Give me your supernatural ability, Lord, to do all that you've asked me to do and more, Father. In Jesus' name, God is going to allow you to do so much more than you ever dreamed possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's not our might, it's your might. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.